it's just this list is really interesting because I have very strong opinions on this little section. Okay. But I think this is going to be a really good section of... The newest film we've, we've covered so far. True. And I think the only one from this... Yeah, only one from this decade, from... 21st century. century the yeah. century on this list, I think. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's insane. When we do our re-list at the end of this, we'll discuss <laughs> other films. Sure. But um, this is going to be a very interesting topic we're talking about. Let's just jump right sure. into it. Let's do it. All right. Number 50. The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring from 2001, directed by Peter Jackson, written by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, and Peter Jack Peter Jackson. Um, stars a lot. I just I just put a lot of like the famous people in this. So stars Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Orlando Bloom, Andy Serkis, Sean Astin, Christopher Lee, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Bean. Uh, it was nominated for 13 Oscars. Um, it won four. Uh, one for best cinematography, best score, makeup, and visual effects, kind of the obvious ones, I think. Um, and it was nominated for best picture, supporting actor for Ian McKellen, uh, best director, adapted screenplay, art direction, costume design, film editing, original song from A B and best sound. Um, it won AFI Movie of the Year in 2002. Best picture that year, real quick, um, was A Beautiful Mind. Um, one, Gosford Park, Moulin Rouge, In the Bedroom, and, of course, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Um, Graham, what is your emotional attachment to this film and this series? Um, the series I'm very, very attached to. Um, I took a, I watched this as, like, in middle school, and I really didn't like it the first time I watched okay. it because I read the books before, and I liked the books a lot more. Sure. And then I came back to it as a college student, and I really love this series. Deserve the Academy Award for Best Score, Best cinematography, makeup, visual effects. It deserved those four. Sure. The series is incredible. It's one of the best trilogies out there. You can make an argument it's top three. Sure. Or maybe even number. It could be. You could make an argument for number one if you really want. Yeah, I probably wouldn't go that far, but um, I, mean, I like, see that. I see the case. I mean, you can make a case. Yeah. Because these are all very highly rated films. IMDb rates yeah. like these are all in the eight, upper 80s. I believe this and the Godfather trilogy, the two trilogies, that all three got nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, and I think that's kind of this case that it could be sure. number one. Yeah. But of the three, why did this one make it? I think we've had this discussion, but it's just so confusing. I guess so. My thinking is that this was the first one. And it really kind of, it was the first one that really changed the game as far yeah. as visual effects goes, um, bringing uh, the fantasy genre kind of into the forefront. Uh, let me kind of set the standard. This was not seen as be filmable. Like, these were three films that Peter Jackson, who was not known as a really good director at this point, sure. got funding to do three films. Other studios told him he could only do one or two. And he basically called their bluff and go, I want to do three. And New Line Cinema was like, yeah, well do three of them as long as you shoot them all back to back to back yeah this film is really good it's not the best of the trilogy we got some good memes out of this one yeah with the with the sean bean one does not simply go into mordor uh also man i feel bad for sean bean he always gets the short end of the stick and he always dies he always dies or gets arrested well like anytime everything he's in it's really funny whenever you see a movie and then, like, doesn't have Sean Bean, but you see Sean Bean in the movie, you're like, oh, he's dead. Yeah. Like, it's like, except for, like, The Martian is the only movie I've seen with him where he doesn't die. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I will say, National Treasure, he only gets arrested. That's true. I, I, okay. So that, that was my caveat. In. So he gets arrested or gets killed in all the other ones. Everything else he's in. Uh, he's, an, he's a very good actor. Oh, he's, he's awesome. I mean, 
the acting in this movie. Ian McKellen, I think, deserved Best Supporting Actor for this. He's so good as Gandalf. Yeah. Like, the score by Howard Shore, which mm-hmm. is amazing. It's one of the best scores ever. Um, Andy Serkis really isn't in that much. If you think of looking sure. for Gollum, he's not until the second movie. Yeah, sure. They only really, I, I believe we only catch a glimpse of him in this first one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He really showcases in Two Towers, which is also part of the reason why I like Two Towers the most, probably, of these three. Yeah. Um, I also like really like Battle of Helm's Deep. That's just that's just yeah. It's it's a classic. It's yeah. like it's one of the best action scenes ever. Like yeah, I will say like the cinematography. You kind of mentioned it, but like just the, they made just walking cool. Yeah, like it's, that's it's crazy. All Every shot in this movie is epic. <laughs> yes. Like you watch it, you go, oh, that's an epic shot. Like they're literally just walking on a mountain, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I love New Zealand. Like yeah, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> like they go to bag, and you're like, oh my god, I want to go there. Well, also, I think cinematography alone, the tricks that they pull to make. The size of these guys, like, because Elijah Wood's character, Frodo, is shorter than Gandalf. Gandalf's a huge guy. Sure. Just be really big, period. But they did, like, really weird, like, old school camera techniques to make him look bigger in the same frame without making them seem weird and awkward. Not doing a lot of CGI for that. It's like the Tom Cruise effect. Yeah. Sort of. (laughs) Well, except it's not, it's not like four inches of heels in the boots. Um, I also think that it's really cool. That um, or probably one of the best things about not only the Fellowship of the Ring, but this trilogy as a whole is the marriage of uh, practical and CGI. Yeah, there's a lot of practical in here, which and the CGI is for early 2000 CGI. So you can tell it's CGI. Sure. But also you're just like, it's a fantasy movie. But this also like introduced mocap. Yeah. Which is crazy. Just the amount of real stuff they did. And like, there's a lot of stunts. There's a lot of like. They shot, literally shot arrows at the camera in, in some spots. Mm-hmm. It's really well made. It's really well done. But the one that won all the Oscars, that won, I think it won 11. Let me check my notes. Yeah, Return of the King. Return of the King. Even though it has like 11 different endings, it's yeah. still incredible. I mean, but you've been with these guys for so long. <laughs> yes, I've been with these guys for 12 hours. I think it's just like, it's like granted, it's, sure. you need this. But like. <laughs> Return of the King won 11 Academy Awards. Yes. How, like, I mean, I love Fellowship of the Ring. It's my second favorite one. I think uh, Return of the King is my favorite. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because I, I'd like to... St- I don't think there's a wrong answer of any of these three. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think Fellowship of the Ring, top 50 seems... It's influential. It's important. Sure. It's very important. But I think, like, top 60, if you put it below the top 50, I'd be like, that's fine. Sure. But I think Return... If you're going to put one on here, Return of the King... You can make an argument. I want 11 Academy Awards. It could be 50. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's definitely true. I wonder if they had, like, the mentality that, like, Fellowship of the Ring walked so Return of the King could run as far as, like, the, this, like, grand-scale fantasy epic with all the different effects and all these moving pieces and also just balancing out all these different characters because there are so many characters in these in these films, yet you feel like you know all the hobbits. You know... Um, Aragorn's backstory and Baromir and Faramir and all these all these different guys. Um, even Christopher Lee. Shout out to the late great Christopher Lee as well as Saruman. I mean, the guy who played Dracula, Van Helsing, Count Dooku, Count Dooku. <laughs> the guy, the guy fought in World War One and World War Two. <laughs> like, He's a legend. He is one of the greatest human beings ever walk. He thought he was going to be Gandalf. That's right. I read that. Yeah. He actually knew Tolkien. Who, they were good friends. So, like, every time Tolkien wanted to option it for a movie, he was like, you're going to be Gandalf. Never happened. He was great on the other side of it, though. 
he was really good. Also, he kind of just was like a consultant. Like, he would tell McKellen what to do. And sure. I mean, Ian, shout out Ian McKellen, yeah. one of the greatest actors ever. Underrated actor, honestly. Sure. yeah. Like, he deserved his Academy Award for this. I really believe that. Yeah, no, he um, he was definitely a standout. Um, I also think, I kind of mentioned earlier, but Viggo Mortensen, I think this was my introduction to him, at least. Yeah. And he, I think his introduction probably to the masses, I would say, um, even though he had done some some stuff earlier, he was really good in this. Um, mentioned Sean Bean, <clears throat> Elijah Wood, and uh, Sean Astin. Uh, even kind of just throughout this trilogy, their chemistry is incredible. Yeah, um, Sean Astin. Shout out Sean Astin. Uh, yeah, true. He, he I, like he carries some of the like the third film kind of for me. Yeah, because like Elijah Wood. Well, he's the smart one. Fro- Frodo's, Frodo's a dumbass. Well, Frodo's <laughs> being tempted by the ring, so you kind of get like what's going on with him. Sure. But also, like, Elijah Wood going from the first movie, if you really skip to, like, midway through the third movie from the beginning of this movie, you're like, what happened to him? Because he's, like, he's, he's like, almost dying carrying this thing. Yeah. Also, that little opening chunk of of this movie sets up the entire world, sets up everything, and you're like, I'm in. Sure. I'm bought into this. Sure. Uh, Yeah, like, you can, you know that... Frodo and Gandalf, or, or the Bagginses, I guess, and Gandalf have this history, and they just, all it takes is a few lines of dialogue, and it, it's all set up, and I know we kind of um, got the backstory more um, a few years later in the Hobbit trilogy. Why is there a trilogy of Hobbit um, movies? For, I assume you were not a fan of those films. I, the book was one of my favorites as a kid, Sure. and turning it into three, which is the thinnest of books, it's really thin, Yeah. turning into three movies that are almost all three hours long. Little extreme there, Peter. A little extreme uh, there. Yeah, that was a that was a big flex. Um, I think he was just kind of trying to hold on to that. Um, uh, I guess the legacy that he left and the kind of like they could have done it in one movie and have been fine. Sure. Like yeah. maybe two. Like you could I do. I thought Martin Freeman was actually good as Bilbo. Yeah, I love. I mean, yeah. Martin Freeman was really good as Bilbo. Yeah. So was um, I got Bennett Cumberbatch's Smaug. Yeah. Incredible. That was fun. Yeah. Like. Like the movies aren't the the Hobbit movies aren't bad, but they're not good. I yeah, the third one I think was really bloated, and they were just throwing tons and tons and tons of CGI at you. But yeah, I, honestly, I just think as a whole, the Hobbits were kind of a miss. But I, I, it is cool to kind of see um, that backstory. But yeah, anyway, um, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. I would I would move this down. I might even take it off the list and put it as Return of the King, but like I get it why they put the first one on there. I mean, this this series is important to film history. Sure. Like the fact that we got trilogies and movies now. Like the Harry Potter movies would not have been made without this. Sure. Like a book series that was thought to be unfilmable. This kind of set the tone that we can do this. Yeah. And I we won't have Harry Potter. We won't have the Hunger Games. Kind of spawned Twilight, which makes me sad. <laughs> All these kind of young adult. Like, fantasy novels would not be made today without sure. this. Absolutely, yeah. And it still holds up um, mm-hmm. 18 years later. Yeah, uh, great film. I'd probably just move it down, though. Um, all right, moving on to a... Film, uh, a movie. Oh, uh, technically a film. Uh, number 49, Intolerance. And I put the full title, Intolerance Loves the Struggles Throughout the Ages, from 1916. Directed by D.W. Griffith. Um, written by D.W. Griffith and Anita Luce. Uh, stars Lillian Gish, um, Robert Heron, May Marsh, inducted in the National Film Registry in 1989. It is basically 
one of the first films to utilize nonlinear storytelling, I guess, um, as they kind of weave together, n- not very successfully in my eyes. I'll kind of, I'm not bearing, trying to bury the lead here, um, but they kind of take four different stories of um, older France, modern day, uh, the fall of Babylon, and then Jerusalem when um, in Jesus' time. And I I don't know. I, I don't really think this film's that good. I just put, my notes are, Intolerance, 1916, directed by Who Cares, starring No, Juan No. <laughs> um, properly named for D.W. Griffith, who was a Civil War veteran for the Confederacy. Sure, yeah. And it was made in response to Birth of a Nation, like you have in your notes, but oh. it's, he proper, wanted... it's properly named for him because he just he's a racist, he was a bigot. Birth of a Nation is one of the most racist films ever. This is the ultimate white guy flex because he wanted to show the intolerances and injustices of the world to basically prove that he's not as much of a dick as possibly the guy that made Birth of a Nation. And the guy who re- resurrected the Ku Klux Klan. But yeah, exactly. It, like, I also don't think he even accomplished his own goal. Why is he, this he's, so high? He's, he's also, he, I feel like he's shoving it down your throat of like, see, this is bad. This is bad. Whatever. Like, it, like basically trying to force like intolerance. I also, I, I see there's definitely religious persecution in this film, and I definitely understand that. But why are they all white? That Well, that's a fair point. But also... <laughs> He doesn't even spend enough time on each story for you to care. I think the Babylon stuff was by far the most interesting. Barely spent any time in France. Jerusalem was basically a shot of Jesus here and there. And then they mentioned that he was going to get put on the cross, but they never showed anything. And then modern day, this woman loses her baby. And then that, I don't, what, I don't know what intolerance, like they don't, people don't like poor people. Like, I don't really know exactly what he was going for. I understand this film is like one of the it's regarded as one of the greatest silent films ever made it's a three-hour silent film it does not need to be this long there's also like seven different cuts of it and i first of all it's not a good film it's influential i guess as far as like non-linear storytelling and just the grand scale of it and like i think there's some cool visual effects they use in this yeah but man this should, take, a, take a breath. It should not be this high. Take a breath. Take should a breath. not be this high. It shouldn't be on the list. I'm just gonna I'm gonna flat out put it out there. Sure. D.W. Griffith should not be in the history of film as regarded as highly as he is. He was one of the first guys who produced narrative silent films. But then we have Charlie Chaplin who just destroyed him and basically ran him out of town, and forced him to become a drunk before he died. So he should not be on the list. It's nineteen sixteen. This film is not good. It is three hours long, a bloated story that we don't care about. There's also, this may have been a limitation of the time, but the lack of a score, at least the cut that I watched, really they have, hurt they, it. They didn't have a score. I, yeah, exactly. But like that, I, I know that that was definitely a product of the time, and maybe that's just me kind of looking back at comparing no, it to other but, silent I mean, films, like, but like, know, that definitely doesn't help. But I mean, watching it today, it doesn't hold up. No, it doesn't. So if we're talking about 100 great films of all time, like, Birth of a Nation holds up for one reason. It proves that how racist we were at a time and how we viewed the Civil War. Because that was how Reconstruction was done. The Confederates are, were now saved. And, you know, they're, you know it was, they fought over something not important. It was a stupid war. They all loved Abraham Lincoln. Sure. Which, you know, that was the cause of the Civil War. Um, <laughs> no, he, he got elected the next day. 
Uh, South Carolina defected, but that's fine. Um, it's another podcast. Yeah, but I mean, like, I studied history. I'm a history major sure. here at KU. So, like, the fact that he did these stories on things that he cared about, which were these stories about white people being persecuted, even though, you know, they're Middle Eastern and ancient Jerusalem and all that stuff. Um, and all that stuff drives me nuts. Sure. And D.W. Griffith, important for telling narrative storytelling, but not much else. Yeah. And he, also people have uh, done better jobs at this stuff than he has. Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. I mean, plenty of other directors during that time were, or at this point were better. Sure. And by 1920, there were better directors making movies. Dito Griffin was important for the, for making Hollywood big in the first place, but he also inspired the Ku Klux Klan to come back. Woodrow Wilson, who was the president at this time, sent member like had Ku Klux Klan members meet him in the White House. Yeah, he had screenings at Birth of a Nation in the White House. Yeah. Yeah, he was a white supremacist. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, and the fact that we, it's kind of where that we're paralleling it to now, where white supremacists white supremacy is coming back, in a big way, which is scary. This film. D.W. Griffith's films, in retrospect, are not good. Sure. So I'm fine taking, I am more than fine, I should say. I'm happily going to kick this movie off the list. Yeah, it, honestly, it sucks. Yeah, it does. All right, 48. Let's go. Um, (laughs) To an incredible film. To Alfred Hitchcock. Full circle, uh, (laughs) rear window. Yeah, I just did the whoa. Anyway, um. Uh, Rear Window, 1954, uh, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, like you mentioned. Um, written by John Michael Hayes, adapted from the Cornell Woolrich short story. Uh, stars Jimmy Stewart, Grace Kelly, Thelma Ritter, and Wendell Corey. It was nominated for uh, four Oscars, did not win any, but um, Best Director, Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography, and Sound. Uh, surprised me that none of these actors got nominated. Jimmy Stewart's incredible in this movie. He is. Stewart's just incredible, period. Sure, yeah. Even though people make fun of his voice and all that, he's still an incredible actor. I will. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, you watch it, like, it gets really bad if you watch, like, I watched Mr. Smith Goes to Washington and oh, It's Wonderful Life back to back. I'm just like, I'm so tired of hearing this voice. Sure. But he's such a good actor. He is. Also, it's got to be hard to act. Like, he's in a wheelchair the whole time. Like, he, that's. He, yeah. That's he's, crazy. He's nuts in this movie. He's uh, so good. I mean, um,. Really, I kind of just put down that it's a master class in tension building and character development because you... You grow attached to these... You grow attached not only to the people in in, um, uh, L.B. Jeffrey's apartment, but you also get to know the entire neighborhood. And outside of the dog dying, there no no dialogue is given to any of those people. Yeah, you you get to know people and you feel sad. Miss Lonely Hearts. Yeah. The girl in the, the ballet dancer in the window. Um, the guy who's just trying to compose this song after his wife left him, like it's... Yeah, it's it's nuts to think that this movie didn't win any Academy Awards. Yeah, well, kind of like we what we mentioned with North by Northwest, Alfred Hitchcock just kind of got disrespected. Well, also the Academy just didn't like him because he just was an asshole. Well, like, yeah, he made great films. Though. He made great films. I mean, most directors are assholes. Like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, egotistical. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Grace Kelly, though, she did win Best Actress this year for The Country Girl. Um, it was inducted into the National Film Industry in 1997. Uh, best picture that year. Uh, it was a pretty good class. Um, on the Waterfront won. Could have been contender. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that film later. Um, seven Brides for Seven Brothers, The Kane Mutiny, Three Coins in a Fountain, and The Country Girl. Rear Window should have been nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I like, think. I'm thinking of the, like, On the Waterfront's the only movie I know from that year. 
Okay. Besides Rewindo. Mm-hmm. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers is a pretty well-regarded musical. Um, but anyway. Yeah, uh, Rewindo, I... It's... This is definitely top-tier Hitchcock, I would say. I mean, it's Hitchcock. Kind of when he was in the studio system, could do what he wanted. Sure. He made this movie, which still stands the test of time. It still lives on. If you want to talk about tension and suspense, this is kind of just, you need to watch Hitchcock. I think you need to watch this movie first if you want to talk about that. Sure. This and Rope are the two films you need to talk about tension and okay. suspense. Gotcha, yeah. I think Rope could be on this list I as well. I have not seen Rope. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I've heard of it, but I have not Ro- seen Rope's it. Rope's a master class and just kind of like, we're going to mess around and do something. Sure. This uh, is also, I love how contained this film feels because it's basically shot in like one room, essentially. I mean, it out also shows that, I mean, I don't think Hitchcock got, was going to get a big budget. Yeah. I think that it was kind of him going, I'm not going to get a big budget. I'm kind of doing whatever I want. Sure. So I think he did something that he wanted to do, but he wanted to do it his, his Hitchcocky way. Sure. What he won. And it just, it's so good. Jimmy Stewart's incredible. All the acting in this movie is incredible. I like to I like to think of it as like a melodrama trapped in a crime thriller, because you kind of you have really actually really compelling melodrama between Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart because she loves him and I th- we we are kind of led to believe he does as well but he's afraid of commitment, <laughs> uh, yeah. kind of being tied down and he tries to convince her multiple times. It's just so sad because she she seems like Thelma Ritter repeatedly tells him. Uh, that like she's she's a great girl and she she really cares about you and stuff but he just won't give her the time of day basically, besides to like have dinner with her. Um, but then you also just have this this crime thriller which it really takes a lot of different turns about whether there actually was a murder committed at all. Yeah. And I mean, kind of kind of at the end, uh, the guy the guy across the street, um, uh, he he's not a really good he's not a good dude. Yeah. Um, shout out photography as yeah. well in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, just just really good. It's really well made. Yeah, I uh, placement. What are your thoughts? I think you could top fifty for, for sure. I think you could. I think it's good where it's at actually. Sure, I uh, yeah. I know a lot of people. I, I was reading that a lot of people say this is if not his best, one of his best um, Hitchcock films. Mm-hmm. I don't know where where do you kind of rank it. I guess I think Psycho is still his best. Okay. I think Vertigo, Vertigo, this. I'd say North by Northwest. And North by Northwest. There. I think the, those are kind of just like in rope. I think those like. I like my, Notorious as well. It's kind yeah. of a smaller one, but um, I think those are like the top five. Sure. For me. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Really, really well done. Uh, anytime we talk about Jimmy Stewart or Alfred Hitchcock, um, I'm all for it. Um, next one, number forty-seven, A Streetcar Named Desire from 1951, uh, directed by Elliot Kazan, um, written by Oscar Saul. And based off the uh, Tennessee Williams play that uh, L.A. Kazan um, directed, um, stars Vivian Lee, Marlon Brando, and Kim Hunter. Uh, again, it origin- originated as a stage play, and then Kazan brought Brando and Kim Hunter for film. This is one of Marlon Brando's like this is basically his introduction. No, it is. To, um, like, this to is his the first masses. big film yeah. role. He on TV, but this is his first, I think, film role. Mm-hmm. L.A. Kazan also was told by the studio to replace um, Jessica Tandy. Uh, who was um, uh, Blanche Dubois um, on the uh, on stage, and they placed him with Vivian Lee, who was kind of more of a, a namestay. I mean, she's from mainstay from. Uh, sorry, I just lost my, my train of thought. 
Gone with the Wind. She's from Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. and she won her she won her Oscar for that. Her first Oscar for that. I mean, my notes. Let me see what I have in my notes. Stella. <laughs> I think that's like the big. <laughs> that's like the big note I have. Uh, Brando's incredible. The thing is, like, you think Brando is just such a schlock. He's an incredibly attractive man. Like this, like you look at him, you look at him and go, "Man, you are a superstar." Vivian Lee's incredible in this movie. Um, She won an Oscar. She won her Oscar for this. Really, kind of lost the method actor to like because he he was a method actor. He was one of the first ones ever. Brando was, yeah, yeah. So he kind of launched the method acting like mainstay. Sure. Um, I mean, Brando's just. Nuts in this film. He's so good. Oh, yeah. Um, He's so good as a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah real quick to run through the Oscars. Um, it won for Best Actress for Vivian Lee, uh, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Carl Malden, um, and Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Cam Hunter, and Best Art Direction. Um, it was also nominated for Best Picture, uh, Best Actor for Marlon Brando, Best Director, uh, Best Writing, um, Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Costume Design, Sound, and Music. For our man, Alex North, we've mentioned him a few times mm-hmm. on this pod. I, I wrote down a few notes on my uh, Letterboxd review. Um, I said that Blanche, played by Vivian Lee in an Oscar-winning turn, craves attention and kindness and manipulates her situation and the truth to achieve it. She pays it off. She plays it off like she has good intentions, but ultimately has swindled her way into Stella and Stanley's home life. Man, you should be a journalist. <laughs> I, I, I am partial to the written word. Anyway, um, Stella wants stability, and she initially thinks that after marrying Stanley and having Blanche back in her life, she'll get it. Ultimately, Stanley's abusive both verbally and at times physically, which forces her to reconsider it all. Then there's Stanley, played by the supremely talented Marlon Brando. Stanley's a hothead who wants what's best for Stella but gets in his own way. One second, he's throwing her and Blanche around, in the ne- literally, and the next, he's apologizing and careful with his words. He wants control, and he'll do whatever brutal action it takes to seize it. He's diagnosed with early-onset toxic masculinity yeah he's um, they're all in their own way they're all broken people yeah vivian let me like the family that vivian lee and what was the actress's name um kim hunter kim hunter sorry i forgot her name You're good. um they're both are they're from a rich family and they, they lost all their money they're kind they're just down their luck and it just really shows and then like so Kim Hunter's character finds Marlon Brando, who's like her savior. Sure. Vivian Lee's is kind of down on her luck. Her, I think her husband died. Yes, because she always mentioned that she married young, and then he, yeah, he died a few years back. So he died and left her basically nothing. Uh-huh. And so she also she has a very ambiguous background because she says she's a school teacher, but really, and she says that she kind of left on her own, but it, it later comes out that. Um, she had a mental breakdown. She, well, she had a mental breakdown. She was asked to leave. Uh, uh, Stanley says at one time, she's known down in Oreo like the president of the United States, only she's not respected by any party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, this movie kind of deals with some really adult situation for the 50s, I think. Like, yeah. rape. They deal with, like, like yeah. Marlon Brando's character rapes Vivian Lee. Oh. Like, that's, like, in the stage play, that's what happens. Okay, that just, I don't believe that's in the film version. That's not, but, I mean, like, he attacks her, remember? Yes, in the, yes, in the he hospital does, yes, 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 uh-huh. So, a lot of people, so that's supposed to be... Gotcha. Okay, I didn't, I didn't know that. Okay, because I, I didn't remember them showing a rape scene. But they didn't they show didn't... it, but, I mean, like, they show her, like, and she's, like, has a mental breakdown after that. Yeah. When the play, she gets oh, raped. Oh, okay, got you, okay. So, this kind of broke a mold, because if you can kind of read between the lines, she was raped, yeah. and it's just... 
And Vivian Lee gives an amazing performance. I mean, everybody in this movie acts really well. Yeah. One of the few films to win three acting Oscars. Yeah, it's a really good movie. It's yeah, it's really well done. Um what a what a debut from Marlon Brando. I mean he's one of the greatest actors of all time for a reason. Yeah. Still was a jackass. <laughs> like Yeah. That, like, well, probably yeah. one of the hardest actors to ever work with. Oh sure. Abs- uh, he might be the hardest, honestly. Yeah, like, like I've heard well, a lot of different stories. I mean like the story of him on the Godfather set where he put like weights in his bed and then they're carrying him up the stairs. He's like laughing. Everybody's just like, What the hell, man? Also, uh, Apocalypse Now was a disaster. Yeah, he was like 300 pounds yeah. and could, like, and they told him to lose weight and he gained weight. Yeah, he just, I think him and him and Coppola had a very um, uh, tempestuous relationship. Pers- yeah, um, but I don't know why he, like, he could have gotten anybody else to play that role and he decided, nah, Brando. I guess they had some emotional attachment with The Godfather. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. Um, Streetcar Named Desire, I freaking love this film. Um, I think it's good where it's at. Like, I, I, think I think this I think, is good, too. Like, everything besides, I mean, Fellowship of the Bring, I think, we replaced Return of the King. If you say that's 50, meh, that's yeah, fine. But, sure. like, I mean, Intolerance is the only one I'm like, get get, get out. Yeah, Streetcar Named Desire is really good. Um, best picture that year, by the way. Um, American An American in Paris won. Um, Decision Before Dawn, A Place in the Sun, Quo Vadis, um, A Streetcar Named Desire. Streetcar Named Desire. I mean, American in Paris is pretty good, but yeah. Streetcar Named Desire that's is a, classic. That's a Gene Kelly, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I, that, I think a lot of people like that film. Um, inducted into the National Film Registry in 1999. Um, just, yeah, just really good. Um, pretty much kind of all around, everybody kind of brought their A game to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, moving on here, number 46, It Happened One Night from 1934, directed by Frank Capra, written by Robert Riskin, um, stars Claudia... Uh, Claudette Colbert, uh, Clark Gable, Walter Conley, uh, won five Oscars. Won the big five. The big five, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it won for Best Picture, uh, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Clark Gable, Best Actress for Claudette Colbert, Best Director and Best Writing um, Adapted Screenplay. Um, a couple of... Uh, yeah, the, the notes in this. The I notes in this are interesting. So for Clark Gable, in 1996, Steven Spielberg anonymously purchased... Clark Gable's Oscar to protect it from further commercial exploitation gave it gave it back to the Academy, commenting that he could think of no better sanctuary for Gable's only Oscar than the Motion Picture Academy. He did this for somebody else as well, but I don't remember who it is. I, if I if I find it, I'll see you it. Mean, the we'll next time we'll find out. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, for and Claudia Colbert, she this is so, this is insane. <laughs> she was so convinced she would lose the Oscar to write-in nominee Betty Davis that she didn't attend the ceremony originally. She was summoned from a train station to pick up her Academy Award. That's crazy. That's nuts. Imagine like, like if that happened today. Like somebody just didn't show up and they like. I mean, had to, ha- I mean it happens throughout history, but it's usually sure. a protest or something. Yeah. Like out, yeah, like we mentioned, Al Pacino not showing up because he thought he was. A I mean, Brando didn't show up that year either. Well, yeah, that was a protest as protest, well. Yeah, like yeah you I mean, like, yeah, like it's pro, it's either for a protest, but like thinking that you're just not gonna win, don't show up. <laughs> that's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, that shows how like the Academy Awards are kind of perceived. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't think you're gonna win? Eh. Yeah. Now it's like it's a big party. You should <clears throat> go. But sure. Like yeah. back then, it was like you go, you sit down, you have maybe have a meal. Yeah. They've also turned it into more of a, a show. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but um, uh, yeah, won the big five. Uh, best picture that year. This was back in the day where they had like 
37 nominee, not 37, but like a I mean, like I mean, they have black and white and regular too, which yeah. is super weird. So the nominees that year for Best Picture, um, it happened one night, one, obviously. Cleopatra, Flirtation Walk, Here Comes the Navy, Imitation of Life, One Night of Love, The Barretts of Wimpole Street, The Gay Divorcee, House of Rothschild, uh, The Thin Man. Oh, that's a good movie. The Thin Man's great. Um, the White Parade and Viva Via. Uh, it was not. It was inducted into the National Film Registry in 1993. Uh, pretty fun film, I'd say. I mean, introdu- Capra was kind of just vaulted to being the the director. Sure. After this film, yeah. like he he did Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's a Wonderful Life. He did a bunch of films in during World War II. I mean, he just was seen as Americana. This is the guy who can direct Americana. Um, Clark Gable. Outstanding, deserved the Academy Award, I think. Yeah. Uh, Claudia Colbert, incredible in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, they have really good chemistry. It's really good for a 30s, like, romantic comedy type movie sure. for that still works I today. I think it still is one of the definitive romantic comedies. Yeah, it's, it still works. Yeah. Like, that's the thing about, it. like, there's some romantic comedies that just don't work. And mm-hmm. this one's like, this works. This, this is fine. I also did not realize going in, journalism film. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. not know that beforehand. Yeah, Clark Gable's a writer, and so that's the only reason he even picks up uh, Claudette in the first place is because he wants the story about why she uh, ran away, or I guess swam away from uh, from a marriage. I mean, um, there's iconic scenes where she puts her leg out to get the the ride. Mm-hmm. I mean, just it's really good. I mean, Clark. I mean, it's one of those movies you go like doesn't really hold up with dialogue wise because sure. it still was that 30s style of quick talk and. Punchline stuff. Hey, yeah, it's like that kind but of. But the st- chemistry's still there. It's still there. You can tell that like Clark Gable was right after this was now a sex symbol. Like he was the guy to get for a leading man. Yeah. So Clark Gable's amazing in this. Really weird that this is his only Academy Award. Yeah. Especially for like watching Gone with the Wind. Like he's he's incredible in this movie. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe he just. Uh... Doesn't give a damn. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in there. I know you did. Um, anyway, uh, it's just just a fun film. I think placement. Uh, I think placement's fine. Might be a little high, but I still like it there. Yeah, I, I don't think it's any... important. Sure, sure. Especially for launching Capra and Gable and, yeah. and and won the big five, so that's important. That's true, 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 true. Um, yeah, it happened one night. Uh, good, good with that one. Um, next one, forty-five. Uh, Shane from nineteen fifty-three. Um, directed by George Stevens, um, written by A.B. Guthrie Jr. and Jack Sher, based on the Jack Schaefer novel. Um, it stars Alan Ladd, uh, Gene Arthur, Van Heflin, and uh, Jack Palance in early Woo! Uh He definitely is one of the most iconic actors for playing villains, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 but then he won his Academy Award for City Slickers, which he was a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um it was so Oscars here for 1954. Um, it won for best cinematography. It was nominated for best picture, uh, best actor in a supporting role for Brandon DeWild, best actor in a supporting role for Jack Palance, best director, and best um, screenplay. Al- Alan Ladd um, is incredible in this in this title role. And, and it's kind of weird. This movie is kind of like Jack Palance is the only guy who really has like a big career after this. I think. Yeah. Like has a really notable career because all these people were kind of just. They're like, like character actors the rest sure. of their career. Like I'd heard the name Gene Arthur and I'd heard the name Van Heflin, I think. But yeah, outside of that, I Alan Ladd, I this was kind of his like big ticket. Really. Yeah, and then yeah. he really just didn't capitalize, it seemed like. Yeah. Um it kind of was like these 
actors are kind of like weird spots in their career because these guys were either kind of has-beens or were like coming up and weren't known and then they all kind of just made this movie jack sure. Plance was kind of nobody at this point yeah so and he's not in this film that much but he's he owns, but he makes his presence he owns the screen oh when he's on. yeah so i mean i i really just um like the um uh the balance they use um, between the good and the evil. Obviously, there is the more obvious cases where Jack Palance has a black hat and um, Alan Ladd has a white hat. Uh, but I mean, also, seen, this movie is kind of seen as a quintessential western. Like, oh. I mean, you could say like um, maybe movie I hate. <laughs> sure. And like a movie I hate, like a bunch of John Wayne movies. Like, yeah. Or like um, High Noon. Yeah. Which I think is later on this list. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is kind of seen as, like, if you wanted to get, like, a really big Western, this is kind of it. Like, it's kind of, it's an epic film. Also, kind of a weird ending. Yeah. Because Shane's hurt. Yeah. And you don't know if he's going to die or not. But that's, it's very ambiguous, and I kind of loved it. I loved it, too, because people think he falls off his horse if you watch it a certain way. Mm, okay. There's, like, a version, I think someone's, like, if you watch it, and you, like, if you pay really close attention, you see him gotcha. fall off his horse and die. Yeah. And that there's no sequel to this. It's kind of, I think, like... You, you I think that's good, though. I think it's good, because you could see them making a lot of sequels off of this. Sure. Yeah. I Yeah, they could have probably maybe turned this into a franchise. I really just like how much um, Shane Shane progresses through this film. He Alan Ladd has a very understated performance for most of it, but, I mean, in that first scene, he gets kind of... He kind of throws some people around in the saloon and then kind of slowly... As the community grows more restless, he he's kind of forced to become that gunfighter again, which he never really stopped. But he was definitely more hesitant earlier in the film. And then that final shootout that you mentioned, he he does he does win, but there is a cost, as you mentioned, that he did get shot multiple times. Um, there's a great quote at the end from Alan Ladd uh, to the to the little kid Joey. He said, "Joey, there's no living with a killing. There's no there's no going back from one. It's a brand, and that brand sticks." Yeah, it's. It's a good. It's a really well-made movie. I think it's fine where it's at. I think a lot of these films now are just gonna be kind of like where they're yeah. at. It's kind of fine. Yeah, cool. Because you're also getting to the point where like all these films are great. Yeah. So like, oh, 45 compared to like 42. Like I don't know if it's really gonna make that much of a difference. Like you could say, you could definitely say like, oh, this movie belongs here. I'm like, eh, they're in the 40s. Sure. That's fine. Yeah. I I really love this film. Because I just saw it for the first time recently. Yeah. Um, I'm not the biggest Western fan, but if it's on, if it's like on like a movie channel, I'm like, oh, Shane. Yeah, sure. And it's also not like a, a, a super bloated film. It's just about two hours and pretty entertaining, I think. Yeah, it's not like the John Ford ones where it's like just showing landscapes. It's just like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Or have John Wayne doing stuff. That... <laughs> Basically anything with John Wayne, Graham is not a fan of. No. Uh, anyway, um, best picture that year. Um, uh, From Here to Eternity 1, um, Roman Holiday, which I absolutely adore that film. I haven't seen that movie. I'm surprised. It is so good. It's one of my favorite romantic comedies. Okay. Um, it's got Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn. Okay, um, I've heard about this. I just haven't seen it. It is, it is so good. I would highly recommend it. Um, I wish it was on this list, uh, personally. But um, uh, Julius Caesar uh, with Marlon Brando, uh, Shane, and The Robe. I don't, mean, don't know what The Robe is, but... Yeah, uh, I mean, I would probably do Shane or Roman Holiday um, from that yep. group. But yeah, anyway. And Julius Caesar's not bad either. That was that's Brando doing Shakespeare, and yeah. he's really good. Yeah, that was a big role for um, Brando. Um, inducted into the National Film Registry in 1993. Uh, again, 
I don't have a have a problem with this placing. Uh, it's a really good film. I'd highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, moving on here to a speaking of romantic comedies, uh, the Philadelphia Story at forty four from nineteen forty, directed by George Cukor, written by Donald Ogden Stewart, stars Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, Jimmy Stewart, and Ruth Hussey. Uh, it was nominated for six Oscars and it won two. Uh, it won for Best Actor in a Leading Role for Jimmy Stewart, um, Best uh, Screenplay for Donald Ogden Stewart. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress for Katherine Hepburn, Best Supporting Actress for Ruth Hussey, and Best Director. Um, Ruth Hussey kind of, after this film, kind of jumped into being a, or even just in this era, kind of jumped into being a mainstay uh, character actress. It's really cool to see these three like, these are juggernauts. Titans. These are juggernauts of film at this, this point. This is this is getting the infinity gauntlet of stories. Like, Jimmy Stewart just came off of Mr. Uh, Mr. Goes to Washington. Mm-hmm. Like and this is his only Academy Award. I think that's yeah. one of the biggest things about this. Jimmy Stewart, who's a legend. He deserved just, it for this film. He did. Though. He did deserve it. Catherine Hepburn, one of the biggest stars of all time. Mm-hmm. Cary Grant, one of the biggest leading one of the best leading men of all time. Uh, was the basis for like I guess Superman? Re- okay, I think I have heard. Yeah, that. yeah. He, was like, he was like the basis of Superman, so he just had that you know, chiseled jaw. Yeah, I kind of have a problem with all these forty forties com- comedies on here. Okay, um, there's another one with Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn on here. Bringing up baby. Bringing up baby. See, I as opposed to bringing up baby, which feels very much of its time, I think the Philadelphia Story holds. It up. does. I understand. I kind of think there's like an issue. With all these films from like the '40s gotcha. and '30s on here, yeah, because some of them, Bring It Baby doesn't hold up for me. No, it doesn't for me either. Like a lot of those, these '40s and '30s films really don't hold up as well. Sure, but this this movie holds up. I think it's really good. It's really funny, and it's also just really entertaining. Um, and it's also surprising that you got these three actors. Yeah, at this time, at too. the height of their powers, like yeah. at the height of like Catherine Hepburn, and was it kind of, actually worked. Yeah, too. and Hepburn was kind of just coming up. Yeah. But also helped that Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn liked each other. Sure. Helped that Jimmy Stewart just was a good person, period. Yeah. Like, all these people seem to get along. I don't I don't know if George Cukor really did that much after this. Um, He, so his biggest thing um, is he was known for getting great performances out of actresses. Um, that was like, I, there's a thing on Criterion Channel right now of like a section of George Cukor's women. Of like just the the actresses that he really helped yeah, elevate. I just like I don't know a lot of films. I know this movie. Sure. I don't think I know yeah. a lot of other ones that he's done. Um. Yeah. No. I. I don't. I don't know if he quite ever had a. Um. I guess a uh, big big of a film as this one. Um. Let's let's look here real quick. Um. He did My Fair Lady. Okay. Uh, he, he Gaslight. Uh, so I mean he did and and just thinking of, like Ingrid Bergman is another one that he. He worked with a few. I mean, he times. was kind of the guy who brought up actresses. Yeah. Who made them big. He did one of the versions of A Star is Born. Um, one of the 5,000. I think, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the four. Um, also, um, wedding planning sounds terrible. Yeah. Based on this film. I mean, it, it Especially is. if your uh, ex-husband shows up with a reporter and a photographer just to kind of get force his way in there. Um, so I guess in a roundabout way, journalism movie, yeah. um, sort of, kind I of. I don't know I mean, how much journalism, cause it really is just blackmail a lot of the time. I mean, it's just being a jerk. Yeah. Cause like Cary Grant has this thing holding over Catherine Hepburn's head, but then also, uh, Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant kind of dig up this thing on the publisher. So it kind of all comes to a head at the end. 
yeah, but anyway, um, really great performances across the board. Um, I, I think, as, kind of as you mentioned, you really kind of have to pick and choose these 30s and 40s comedies of what the comedy actually holds up at all. Like, there's I, there's very few 30s comedies. I'm like, yeah, that's, that holds up. Like, sure. Like, it happened one night, works because it's iconic. Marx Brothers is Marx the same Brothers, way. like, I mean, there's a movie on this list, which we'll discuss later, which holds up. Sure. Somewhat. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah. And then there's the next movie on this list. Oh, boy. I'm curious what you think about this. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it. Uh, oh, by the way, best picture that year, real quick. Um, Rebecca won. Um, All This in Heaven 2, Foreign Correspondent, Kitty Foyle, Our Town, The Grapes of Wrath, The Great Dictator, The Letter, The Long Voyage Home, and The Philadelphia Story. It's pretty. That's good, a pretty good class. That's a good class. A few, a few films on I mean, this list. I mean, uh, The Great Dictator, Grapes of Wrath. And, I mean, of course, the Philadelphia story and Long Voyage Home mm-hmm. all are considered classics. Yeah, and I think people mostly like Rebecca, I guess. Yeah. I mean, eh. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a standpoint in Selznick's um, time at the head of the studio. Um, it was inducted to the National Film Registry in 1995. Placement-wise, sure. You could say it's 40s. Yeah, I think that's I mean, I mean I just to get fine. these three on the same, like, film sets, insane. So. Yeah. That's just really, really well executed on all fronts. Um, uh, okay, number 43, uh, Midnight Cowboy from 1969, uh, directed by John Schlesinger, uh, written by Waldo Salt, based on the James Leo Nalby novel. It stars John Voight, Dustin Hoffman, Sylvia Miles, nominated for seven Oscars and won three. I mean, it, it won Best Picture, Director, Best Death Screenplay. Mm-hmm. And no. then it was also nominated for Dustin Hoffman, John Voight, were both, both nominated for actors in a leading role. Um, Sylvia Miles was a nominated for Supporting Actress, and it was also nominated for uh, Best Film Editing. Huey Robertson was the first African-American to be nominated for Best Film Editor. Awesome. So that's cool. I also thought it was worth mentioning John Wayne won Best Actor this year um, for True Grit. I thought you I thought you definitely would want to I would say that. if he was going to win one... I don't mind him true great because sure. like the the Richard Cogburn was kind of just written for him. Yeah, he's like if you watch Jeff Bridges' version, it's just kind of like it's a little toned down John Wayne. It's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, but um, it was the first X-rated film to be to win Best Picture. There's not even an X-rating anymore. Yeah, that at the time though. At, at the, the time, time it was NC-17 today. Sure. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best Picture that we we've mentioned in previous pods are real quick. Midnight Cowboy won. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Anna the Thousand Days. Hello Dolly Z. We both said Butch Cassidy should have won this, but anyway. Cassie's um, top twenty. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, inducted into the National Film Registry in 1994. With all that out of the way, Graham, why do you hate this film? I hate John Voight. I really just don't like him as an actor that much. I think he's fine in some movies. Like I don't National Treasure. I don't mind him National Treasure because he's not like <laughs> he's not a central focus. He's there to be like the dumb dad, and I'm like I'm fine with that. You like his daughter better than him? Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Of course. Of course, yeah. Angelina Jolie is one of the stars <laughs> of, of Hollywood. Yes. No. John Voight just says racist stuff now and gets away with it. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, I can't deny this. He said Donald Trump fixed white supremacy. Well, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. But, he, but uh, yeah. I, it, also, I just don't like his acting style in this movie. Mm. He's just, he's like the, and I get it's his character. He's supposed to be really cocky. But just his, he seems like he's not fully there. He's also very out of his element. He's very out of his element, but he's acting cocky, but it just comes across as just, like, he's not fully investing that he's cocky. He kind of comes across as awkward. Sure. No. Which I think plays into the role. It plays into the role, but I'm thinking this, like, he does, like, if you're trying to play confident, like, Dustin Hoffman's playing confident. 
Sure. He's also just a, he's just like well, he's Ratso. So yeah, I mean Ratso. that's yeah. Yeah. So I think I just don't like his performance in this that much. Okay. But I just every time he's like a lead in a movie, I'm just like, eh. Okay. But this is like his. I think this is his only Academy Award nomination. Um, I will look that up real quick. Let's see here. Uh, John Schlesinger also important because I believe, if I remember right, he was an openly gay director. By by like I think the eighties. Yeah, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also made Sunday Sunday Bloody Sunday around this time. He won an Oscar. He won an Oscar. Um, he won for Coming Home. In 1979, um, he was also nominated for Runaway Train in 86 and Ali from 2002. He's really um, good in Ali. Actually, he is also, also great in Deliverance. Oh, I thought shit, he was really good in that film. He's okay, really I, good I take back some of my John Voight points. He's also in uh, Anaconda and the Transformers one of the, greatest, one of the greatest performances of all time. Yes. I forgot he's in Deliverance. I haven't seen Deliverance in a long time. Deliverance is really good. Yeah, um, apologize for my language, but that I forgot. That yeah, he was in Deliverance, sure. and, but Burt Reynolds was so good in that movie. So yeah. and Ned Beatty. And Ned Beatty. Um, anyway, that I that film's so great. Um, but uh, Midnight Midnight Cow, <laughs> yeah, um, Midnight Cowboy. Um, I saw it in a film class. Not the greatest place to see a movie. Not is it? the greatest place to see a movie. I like this film though. Dustin Hoffman's really good. Uh, there's that. I will say one of the film besides the. We need to mention it. Hey, I'm walking here. The walking here scene, which may or may not have been ad-libbed. It kind of plays like it does. It is. But, like, I guess they did multiple... I guess, like, according to reports, they did multiple takes of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's still cool. Anyway. Still, I mean, it's still as iconic for yeah. a reason. People people use it all the time and have no idea where it's from. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman also... Just totally different from, like, The Graduate. Like, you see him... Yeah. See him The Graduate, you see him in this movie, you're just like, what happened? Just completely, complete 180. Um, yeah, we'll talk about The Graduate later. Um, another scene that really sticks out to me is like the, I don't know if acid trip is the right word to use. When they're on drugs. Yeah. Like in the, in the club or whatever. That yeah. yeah, that definitely sticks out to me. Um, I think that John Voight and Dustin Hoffman had a decent chemistry. They didn't like each other on set. That was like the yeah. biggest thing. Like they hated each other. Which, I mean, they kind of don't like each other in the film as yeah. well. Yeah, I. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a good film. It's a good movie. I just forty three seems really high. Forty three is very high. I. Uh, I, I will say though, it did set up what the seventies were going to be. Sure, sixty nine was a huge year. I mean, we talked about Easy Rider a little bit earlier and Butch Cassidy. Sixty nine was sixty nine is one of the most important years in Hollywood history. I would say. Yeah. Um, just because it really kind of turned the page toward modern cinema. I mean, the biggest thing about this is that, like, it kind of set the tone for, like, what the 70s films are going to be like. They're not sure. going to be clean. They're going to be kind of sure. grimy. They're not Gritty New York as gritty, well. Gritty, yeah. I mean, New York is just crime-ridden at this point. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, Midnight Cowboy, uh, if it's on the list, I would move it down. Um, I would say this belongs in, like, the 60s or 70s. Yeah. It's important. But it is it's important. Not, it's important, but I don't know... If, not quite as well crafted as these other films. It's no, around. it's like the reason it was X-rated because it dealt with male prostitution and I mean those. I would say I'm surprised they didn't win best song original song. Oh, for which what was the name of the song? Everybody's talking. Oh, what is the name? Uh, it didn't get nominated okay. for it either. Gotcha. Um, wherever the the song is from it, but like it's like I like if you is referenced so much. I feel like someone walking away in the middle of a crowd that doesn't fit in. Everybody's talking? Everybody's talking. Yeah. yeah. I think that's it, yeah. 
Yeah, that song's like that song is iconic for a reason. Like I'm surprised I didn't get I don't know if it was the original song for this. I think it was, but I could be dead wrong. Um it's on the um the OST, so I mean I would assume I okay. So Yeah. Um yeah, I for, I forgot about that. Um Midnight Cowboy, yeah, I'd probably move it down. Another film that I kind of feel conflicted about. Um forty two, Bonnie and Clyde from nineteen sixty seven, uh directed by Arthur Penn. Uh, written by David Newman and Robert Benton, uh, stars Warren Beatty, Faye Dunaway, Gene Hackman, Michael J. Pollard. And forgetting the best part of it, Gene Wilder's in this movie. Oh, I have some thoughts on Gene Wilder. Come on! In this movie. Uh, okay, nominated for 10 Oscars, uh, one, two. Uh, one for Best act- best Supporting Actress for Estelle Parsons, Best Cinematography for Burnett Guffey. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture. Best Actor for Warren Beatty, Best Actress for Faye Dunaway, Best a- Best Supporting Actor for both Gene Hackman and Michael J. Pollard, Best Director, uh, Original Screenplay, Costume Design. This film, uh, oh, first of all, in- inducted the National Re- Film Registry in 1992. Uh, best Picture, we've, we've talked about it a bunch. 67 was a crazy year, but In the Heat of the Night 1, The Graduate, Kisses Coming to Dinner, Dr. Doolittle, Bonnie and Clyde, any, any of that. But um, I also think... This film, in a roundabout way, is attached to the uh, 2017 Oscars um, uh, for the famous flub, hey. Moonlight, La La Land, Hey, because uh, 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 Warren Beatty can't read, apparently. Well, they gave him the wrong envelope. Well, that's true, but Faye tried to stop him. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, no, Faye didn't. He was, he was trying to stop it, remember? Oh, I thought it was ba- the other way around. Fa- okay. Faye was like, just read the thing. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, there was a, there was a slight hesitation, but anyway. Because he's looking at it and goes like, this is best director. Or, no, it was it was Emma Stone for La La Land. Yeah. It was her envelope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's just a complete disaster. Anyway. Um, that's but, why they have envelopes with a name on the outside now. Yes. that. Oh, man. Shout out Moonlight. But anyway. Um, so Should I wrote down I wrote down a few weird choices. Um, I thought Blanche was unbearably annoying. This is still I Peters, think, isn't it? Yeah. I, I just, I maybe, maybe that's part of her character. I understand that. But I, also the Gene Wilder scene, I, I felt like I wasn't watching a different movie for like a 10 minute. I don't know. It just, He felt so out of place. Gene Wilder, I don't think of him as like this, because this is supposed to be kind of a, it, it's it's kind of jovial, but it's also kind of gritty. And like seeing Gene Wilder, which just kind of was a little jarring. Uh, Gene Hackman's accent was a little weird for me. Yeah. Um, C- <laughs> I thought I should men- mention CW's chest tattoo. I just, I was like, what's that kid doing? Um, I also put including any scene that didn't have either Warren Beatty or Faye Dunaway because they are incredible. Yeah, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, like, Warren, Warren Beatty was kind of a well-known actor. Sure. This launched into superstardom. Yeah. And Faye Dunaway was like a no, kind of like a nobody. Sure. She's been in some movies, but this was kind of like, oh, she's a leading actress. Let's well, put her in Chinatown and a bunch of other movies yeah. in the in the in network and all these Three other... Three Days of the Condor. Three Days of the Condor. She's just so good. Yeah. This, this announced Gene Hackman, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really good. It Yeah, and um, it, it's definitely... I, I would say it's iconic. It's influential. Sure. I mean, the amount of violence and stuff they get away with in this movie well, is The insane. ending had people talking for, I mean, months and months and years even now. Um, but just the, having that shootout at the end. Yeah, and that they just don't hide from it. Like they just, they just go. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, they obliterate. The, it's like, it's like the ending of Scarface almost. They just, or I guess Scarface is like Bonnie and Clyde. Um, there's also a Netflix film out right now 
called The Highwaymen. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, with Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Um, Kathy Bates as well. Um, but it's basically kind of uh, from the other side of it where they're, they're two, like, uh, Texas Rangers coming up to track Bonnie and Clyde, and it basically shows the opposite side of that shootout. Interesting film. It's okay. But um, I kind of just, I thought that was an, a nice companion piece with this, kind of to see both sides of the coin. Yeah. Um, I like this film. It's all right. I don't love it. Yeah. But I I, I understand its, its so place important. in history. It's so important because sure. like Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway and Gene Hackman are stars of the 70s for mm-hmm. a reason. It also just kind of, I don't know say, like the gritty 70s, like we're talking about um, They're Not Cowboy, this kind of launched, they, I don't think Butch Cassidy and his kid would have made without this film. Sure. Like this film was made in a time where people still were alive that remember Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. Like they, like the guy who wrote, the people who wrote it, like actually talked to people who were survived them and, you know, ta- like they, and adding the part where Warren Beatty is impotent. Mm. That he has, that he can't have sex because he can't get it up. Oh, that's, yes, you're right, you're right. It's yeah. super weird. He, he claims that he's just not about lovemaking or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and like Faye Dunaway is... Bonnie's just like, you have to, like, come on, we had to do something. Yeah. That, they do try once, but it doesn't work out. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that also being a part of the story. Sure. Yeah. Would that ever been made in the, in any other decade besides the late 60s? Oh, probably not. Yeah, it would be made today, but it wouldn't sure. be made in the 60s. Like, yeah, that I, it definitely ahead of its time in that respect. Yeah. Um, super important. I think, it, I think you could say 40s. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. 42 seems kind of high. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think mid forties is fine for it. Um yeah, <laughs> definitely definitely influential. Um definitely one of the uh I mean Bonnie and Clyde just even outside of obviously the real events, um, this movie just they're one of the most um iconic on screen couples, probably. Mm-hmm. Also a uh, nice shout out to Gold Diggers in nineteen thirty three is what they what they watched that in the theater at one point. Um that's a good film. But anyway. Moving on here to our final film that we'll be talking about in this episode, uh, 41, the original King Kong from 1933. Both uncredited, but they're directors, directed by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Oh, boy. Shotsack. Shotsack. Uh, thank you. Um, written by James Ashmore Creelman and Ruth Rose. Stars Faye Ray, Robert Armstrong, and Bruce Cabot. A uh, few notes ahead here. Uh, producer Marion Cooper came up with the idea while shooting on location for The Four Feathers. Um, RKO's um, Willis O'Brien um, helped with the game-changing visual effects in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one, they, one of the uh, notes from production, one afternoon of work would result in one second of footage for the stop-motion stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was They still were working on it a year after actors finished shooting. Um, the special effects category did not exist yet at the Oscars. Uh, I believe it was six years later. I think it was 39 when they... Um, introduced that category so it wasn't nominated for anything uh it is credited by many for saving rko pictures at the time um and it was inducted into the national film registry in 1991 that seems late for that movie yeah just for king kong yeah king kong is one of the most influential films period sure it just inspired so many people to go to the movies especially at a time this is the height of the depression and a lot of people weren't can it go see movies? Mm-hmm. And that this movie was such a blockbuster. It was like kind of like a blockbuster. Like it made so much money. Mm-hmm. 
and the middle of the Great Depression that saved RKO and it saved all these things is super important. Um, this film has not aged very well. I was about to get to that. But the effects still hold up for me. Oh, absolutely. The effects still hold up for me. Once they get on the island, once they get past the natives, mm-hmm. I think the film sings. Sure, yeah. And when they get in New York, the film sings again. But, like, the lead-up to King Kong is hard to watch. So I want to read you a uh, dialogue exchange um, from this movie. Um, one character, I guess I love you. But, Jack, I thought you hate women. Yeah, but you're not women. Yeah, it's extremely <laughs> sexist. For... They're extremely sexist. And uh, it's written by a woman. Some uh, some questionable racist scenes. Uh, the, the 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 Chinaman on board. Yes, yes. They, oh. they, could they call him a Chinaman multiple times? <laughs> Not only that, but they say they're doing test shots um, for Fay um, for Fay Ray, and he he's they're all watching, and he says, "Hey, can I get my t- picture taken too?" And they reply to him, "Oh no, the camera's new. We don't want to break it." Did wow. you catch that line? I didn't. That yeah, they no, say what that. A, what a burn. Yeah, and I'm like. Wow, 1933. Okay, like I mean, also the, the natives were like, yeah, God, this the is... way they're dressed, and yeah, and just yeah, it's. I mean, even the line, it's it, it sounds it sounds cool, but every legend has a basis in truth. There's something on that island that no white man's ever seen. I mean, listen, it it is 1933. I I give part it part a part pass, for, yeah, like being of that era, because like I mean that that's just what they were talking about and going on, but still. Parts of this do not age well, like you mentioned. Still really good, and you cannot even begin to understate the impact on pop culture. No, it literally is one of the, like, if you're talking about pop culture in general, King Kong is, like, number, like, one or two. Because, like, there's every, like, it does have a Simpsons reference. It's kind of like a basis I kind of put some of these on. Sure. Definitely has multiple. Like, Yeah. I like, mean, I'm, almost, like, I mean, there are references in almost every medium to King Kong. Yeah, like King Kong, Star Wars, like the, like the upper echelon of pop culture. I mean, they're still making King Kong movies today. Yeah, God. Okay, like, I love Peter Jackson, but the King Kong movie's so freaking long. <laughs> well, they yeah, they have that one. Um, the 1976 that, one. With Jeff Bridges and, um, and Jessica Lange. Yeah. Um, they Which had, isn't bad. They had um, uh, Kong Skull Island from a couple years back. Um, they are about to bring Kong versus Godzilla next year. I am so excited. Oh, my gosh. Go see Godzilla King of Monsters coming out this year. That film is incredible. Um, um, this movie is important just general for, like, making monster movies a thing. Yes. Like, the fact that Universal just was like, oh, we now need to make, like, Frankenstein and Wolfman all these other movies. This is kind of the first big horror film that got, like, a crap ton of people to go yeah. see. Because it's not really a horror film. It's more of an adventure movie. Yeah, sure. But can't, like, people thought that it actually had a gorilla. Like, to show you how good the effects were, like, how good the effects were at the time. The stop motion looks really good still. Yeah, it still looks good. Like, the fights with between him and the T-Rex mm-hmm. holds up. Oh, yeah. That is, that's one of my favorite scenes of the film, probably. How, like, you look, watch and go, how? I, I, honestly, I don't know how they pulled that. Even, not only the T-Rex, but the other dinosaurs they show look really good, too. Yeah, I mean, it looks pretty fake today. Sure. But it still, like, it still holds up. It's like, yeah. th- like it's, they, it doesn't take you out of the film, I think. No. Yeah. And the fact that it inspired so many people to become directors, and, I mean, you cannot say how important this movie is. Sure. I think it's fine where it's at, 41. Yeah. But it's just like things don't hold up. <laughs> the sure. acting's Faye Ray is, is a really important actress in film history. She's became, she's the first scream queen. Mm. 
Yeah. And uh, this film kind of launched her career too. Sure. So this film's important. Yeah. And yeah, I again, as you mentioned, a couple things don't hold up, but other I. Uh, all of that being stated, it's still a good it's, film. It's not. It's not intolerance or. Uh, no, 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 no. There, King Kong brings King Kong brings much more to the table than intolerance does. Uh, intolerance, I I struggle calling it a film. It's so. It's a collage of clips. Y- yeah. At that point. Also, there's just not enough dialogue for you act like dialogue cards where you actually know what they're saying because it's just it's like five minutes of just. Oh, the lips moving, yeah. Just the lips moving, and then like one dialogue card, like what? I have no yeah, idea what like, the conversation it's like, it's like, was. It's like five seconds ago. I'm like, huh? yeah, bang. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sure that was great for podcast listeners. But anyway, um, on that note, um, that was 41 through 50. Um, we kind of mentioned uh, placement wise here. Intolerance, kick that, kick that thing off the list. Kick it, um, kick, kick it everywhere. Just, kick kick, it. just, kick, just keep kicking it for the rest of time. Thank you for listening again um, for Graham Cannon. I, I'm Braden Shaw, and we'll see you next time on Ins and Outs. Peace.